0: Superpunk Corporate Meltdown is a sequential podcast. We recommend you listen to it as such to be able to follow the timeline in order as you listen. We have provided detailed notes and music credits in the show notes, and we encourage you to head over there for things like sourcing, transcripts, or other information you may want to access. Thank you.
1: Superpunk Corporate Meltdown is a podcast that examines workers' rights, institutional betrayal, and corporate retaliation. We trudge through the very public, tumultuous, and exhausting types of battles imposed on workers speaking out about workplace issues by employers. Up
2: yours, more or things. I'm talking to you about how to be inclusive. Is
1: this is somebody attempting to subdue what's going on. Through a case study, we reckon with the reality and impact superpunk corporate meltdowns have on workers and culture. Spoiler alert: it's not good.
2: What does it say about your press releases that you're deleting them yourself? I'm People are tired of being abused.
1: We go deep trying to understand the points of division co-opted by abrasive leadership and the implications of retaliation for workplaces
0: in any industry.
1: I'm Kate Bailey, a workplace consultant and investigator.
0: And I'm Fanny Wandell, a hospitality workers advocate.
1: And this is Super Corporate Meltdown. We'll see who cancels who. This is episode four cover-up and cry wolf.
0: In April, Charlotte Cook and other participants of the BrewDog-affected workers' platform received a response to their data subject access requests. After reviewing the documents, it's discovered that a breach of Charlotte's anonymity has occurred between BrewDog and Wiser. Hand and Heart assist platform participants with filing a group complaint to the Information Commissioner's Office. A production note just to
1: let you know what's been going on and how long it's been going on. But seriously, when it comes to all of the companies mentioned in this broadcast, we have reached out to all parties. For Brewdog and Weiser, especially, we also provided a 35-page document detailing the factual claims in our podcast and describing discussion points. We invited them to respond to anything that they wanted to discuss from that document, as well as the questions that we asked. We gave them nearly seven days and indicated we were open any time to discuss any of this with them. Apart from one journalist whose reply we included in the broadcast, no party has responded to our invitation to reply. So we are at a rather huge milestone in the timeline of the last six to seven months. Charlotte, you received your SARS back from Wiser BrewDog and Integritas.
2: The results were disturbing. What happened? So the first one I got back was from Wiser. So just to remind everybody I'd engaged with Wiser as part of their review to find out the cultural problems with BrewDog in good faith on the assurance that my data would be kept anonymous, nothing that I fed back would be uh, fed back to the company. I found out that this wasn't the case. I was referred to in two emails sent to Brewdog, one saying that I had a selective memory and failed to mention uh, why I'd actually left the company, and the other saying that I was going to help them to get more people. So, you know, thrown under the bus and then also used in the exact same sentence, essentially. I also saw that Wiser had shared internally on their Slack channel a podcast that I'd done with their uh, Good Beer Hunting and that this was going to be some interesting listening for them. Despite the fact that everything within the review was supposed to come directly from sources and be provided to them, they instead used external sources. I think that's unacceptable and I think it's immoral. They were also clearly discussing you in that case
1: even amongst themselves, without the anonymity that you were promised.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I'm a scientist. I know fine well that if you want to avoid bias, you give your sample a cold number. You attribute just three random digits, maybe a couple of letters, and then you treat it as something that, let's use a nice philosophical position a Rawlsian position of uh, coming through the curtain where you don't know anything so you just take it as you see it and you treat it as it is. This clearly didn't happen with this professional company who didn't anonymize their data despite that being one of the most fundamentally basic things that you can do and discussed amongst themselves and also discussed with Brudog and fed back uh, something that happened in my interview with them. It also seems that Brewdog told uh, Wiser that I was going to be fired. This isn't the case. And with my Brewdog uh, SAR, I managed to get back my resignation letter and the invitation to a disciplinary that said the worst would happen would be a warning. So I accidentally got something wet at work in a brewery and was facing a disciplinary. I'm not going to pretend that that didn't happen uh, so, yeah, it seems that Wiser and BrewDog were talking to each other. They weren't keeping things anonymous. And I actually got out of the gym and was on the bus home from the gym when I got it, and I was just essentially ready to march down to the Wiser head office and demand to speak to the CEO immediately to explain why such a breach could possibly occur.
1: Indeed, and and I guess if you're receiving this information that reveals this breach, and you're thinking back to your participation in September, was it, did it point anything out to you in regards to how you had eventually
2: gone on to be targeted by BrewDog? It seems that because they were discussing things and because of something that was untrue, that was told too wiser, they definitely painted me in a negative light, and that's completely
0: unacceptable.
2: They're not there to make moral judgments. (laughs) You know, they're not there to know who people are or what they've done. They're there to listen and to feed it back. You simply don't make decisions based upon people from small amounts of data that have no context and they did this and it's a total breach of professional standards yet again.
1: I think as well from your side, it also kind of just put another gauntlet ahead of you in terms of resolving all of these issues in your life. And then I can imagine that must've been frustrating and and having an impact on you.
2: It said to me that they didn't have any intention of actually resolving any of it and that this wasn't a good faith, genuine exercise. Charlotte, I'm
1: also curious because the way that you had previously described your interactions with Wiser The fact that you were trying your very best to encourage participation from other people and also that you yourself had provided positive feedback to the community and said, you know what, I had a good interaction with this company and I encourage you to talk with them. I can imagine it must have been very jarring to find out that that representative that was getting you to do that outreach and then also the person that you... Shared probably very personal things with, had been
2: talking about you with the company. It was an absolute, an utter breach of trust. I don't think I've ever had my trust broken in such an egregious and unpleasant way before. It was very jarring because this person had presented one side and, you know, it was very sympathetic made promises of anonymity and then basically immediately just turned around and did the absolute opposite. And it just makes me question their motives. After hearing no reply from
1: Wiser, it was finally time to group together the concerns and trigger an ICO complaint. This was also then reported via Goodbear Hunting in an article from the journalist Kate Burnott titled Into the Breach, Supposed Anonymous Workplace Culture Review Provided Information to BrewDog. Charlotte, can you recall for us what was happening for you and what was going into the decisions that you were making at that time?
2: So I was in a fairly stressful place trying to decide whether or not to make this public. Again, I was really scared of retaliation because this, in my opinion, the Wiser of you wasn't fully anonymous, and so I don't think that it deserves to be held up on this pedestal as the bastion of fairness and a true representation of the culture because it simply wasn't fully anonymous and they made decisions based on things that came from outside of their direct interviews with uh, current and former workers and that's not what we were told would be happening uh so i was scared about saying this i'd be facing retaliation as we've already seen i've been contacted by what we believe to be private investigators and I've had fairly unpleasant things happen to me. And eventually it just got to the point where it had to go out because there were so many things riding on it. People were desperate to get it out there and to hear. And, you know, to be able to show that something wasn't right is always a good feeling.
1: At that, at that time, obviously, you know, you you kind of had to make a decision about what to do because you hadn't heard back from wiser at all and from my side because you are a platform participant and we do this for participants who are not not contributing to this podcast uh it's just that charlotte has been willing to but what we did was sort of analyze what was next and we also recognized a a number of other concerns that people had raised to us when they received their replies uh from wiser and obviously it was at that point where It was publicly revealed that yes, something had gone wrong, that people were able to come together and via the platform, we were able to organize a group to be able to trigger an ICO complaint because you hadn't heard back from Wiser at all. Now that's the regulatory body, the information commissioner's office. Again, does that just extend the gauntlet for you in terms of resolution?
2: It's another thing that we've got to wait to be resolved. And I shouldn't have had to do it because my data shouldn't have been breached in the first place. But it's a regulatory body and that's the process that we have to follow. To be honest, I just want an apology and an explanation from Wiser about why they did it. And I also want to know why the person who did it hasn't been fired.
1: Yeah. It's very telling that there's just been nothing. There's just no response. They've completely ignored it. They didn't contribute to the article that went out about it. I mean, it's, it's quite disrespectful and it's data is, you know, it's, it deserves protection because it requires protection exactly for reasons like this.
2: Yep, absolutely. They didn't anonymize my data. They talked about my health and health data has extra layers of protection as well, and it just seems. Like, this is a group of people who don't understand what they're doing and manage to breach it through a lack of understanding. And I just want an apology, and an explanation and proof that it's not going to happen to anybody else and they're going to train their staff in GDPR.
0: In early May, BrewDog announces the introduction of the BrewDog Blueprint. A profit-share scheme in which the CEO is expected to give away 20% of his shares of the company to salaried employees while BrewDog bars will split 50% of profits with their staff. Two days later, Goodbeer Hunting published a story. Conspiracy-weary, BrewDog's CEO files lawsuit against woman he paid for information, which details elements of the legal battle between the CEO and a former romantic partner. Within hours, the article was taken down after Goodbeer Hunting received a cease and desist letter from lawyers representing BrewDog's CEO.
1: Fanny, Jesus, fuck, we got a lot to unpack here. You want to kick it off?
0: Let's fucking do it. We should probably start with just going through what the BrewDog blueprint actually is. The general idea is that salaried staff, which BrewDog says is about 750 people, will be receiving equal share of approximately 3.7 million shares, which the CEO is giving away from his own personal stake to mark the company's 15th anniversary. According to the company valuation at the time, that would be worth about 100 million pounds worth in shares, and these shares account for nearly 20% of the CEO's stake in BrewDog. They've dubbed this the hop stock, and they categorize it as an employee ownership program. Then you, of course, have the bar staff who are paid an hourly wage. They need to get something as well. So along with the hop stock, BrewDoc also announced their plans to split 50% of bar profits with bar staff which will be paid out about every six months. This was a big announcement and we saw it get syndicated quite a bit. We talked a bit about that in a previous episode of this podcast. BrewDog made multiple statements, as did the CEO who expressed an interest in having his team members incentivized to act as business owners. Now, shares are directly linked to a company's valuation, which BrewDog highlights in their announcement. So if the valuation increases, the value of share increases. If the valuation drops, so does the value of shares. It's an interesting move, considering that both the CEO, shareholders, and staff have talked about BrewDog getting an initial public offering for a number of years now. I had quite a few thoughts about this. I definitely agree that these programs have value, and I don't doubt that an initiative like this is appealing to many people. be lying if I said I myself haven't fantasized about being involved in a well-functioning business with a good company culture, great leadership where everyone had a vested interest in the company and thus everyone benefiting when the business is successful. But you're right. It also means that risk is offloaded onto employees as well. And with that said, the timing of this announcement is interesting given the year that BrewDog has had and what was published just a couple days later leaves me wondering. At the end of the day, with this particular company, there is still a massive gap of power between the CEO and even your average salaried employee. And certainly the employees who are paid an hourly wage. Introducing this program doesn't really change that power dynamic.
1: Do you have any, you know... Thoughts or insights or have you done any digging into profit share programs and typically, you know, who would benefit from them like an employer or
0: an employee? Yeah. So when this was announced and I finally shared it, I had a few people writing in and sending me some reading material, which I found really fascinating. One article in particular discussed research, which found that companies sometimes give more stock options when committing fraud. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that that's what's going on in the case of the BrewDog blueprint, but the article details how while rewards can encourage employees to come forward with issues they might be aware of, these sort of financial incentives can also be used for the opposite purpose. Employees are often exposed to misconduct or illegal business practices leading to them being in a position to become a potential whistleblower. So rewarding them with a financial stake in a company could easily discourage them from doing anything to devalue the business and therefore their personal finances. When looking at the appendix for the BrewDog blueprint, it details that in the case of the Hopstock program for salaried employees, share awards will be distributed once a year until all shares have been allocated, and the first round of distribution has already taken place in June of this year. Each of these share awards have a 12 month vesting period and are first exercisable when either a change of control happens or the company floats on the stock market, something we know that the CEO and Equity for Punk shareholders are extremely interested to see happen. The appendix goes on to state that if you depart before either of these things come into fruition, you'll be surrendering your share awards. These shares will then be returned to their employee benefit trust and be redistributed amongst the remaining salaried employees. The current rate of staff turnover means it could take several years for these shares to be distributed. Now, again, I don't know what the intentions are behind this program, but this decision has given me pause given the magnifying glass that the company and its CEO has been under this last year, since I was also aware of what was soon to be published regarding the CEO's legal matters.
1: Understood. And just to go back a little bit, am I correct to infer that when an employee departs, if their shares haven't been paid out, then they
0: lose their right to the share awards? Is that correct? Based on the published BrewDog blueprint, that is correct. But just to reiterate once more that this is only applicable to the salaried staff members benefiting from the hop stock program. The bar teams who take part in the 50% profit split get paid out about every six months. Moving on to what happened a few days later, Good Beer Hunting published an article which related to these two legal proceedings that the CEO of BrewDog had mentioned on a few occasions. This article provides more insight into what's going on from the perspective of the woman, who I can only assume is the same person the CEO was referring to in the piece on him in the Sunday Times, that has been paid to get in touch with people believed to be involved in some sort of alleged conspiracy against BrewDog and its CEO and co-founder. One thing the article seems to make clear is that this woman is not a former employee and therefore not a participant in the affected workers platform and she is not a BBC documentary participant. Court documents provided to Good Beer Hunting and further statements from the woman detail the following things that I found pretty important. According to the article, she and the CEO have known each other since November 2020 and their relationship was described as sometimes romantic up until August 2021. I myself went on the record in this article about having brief interactions with her over the course of a week also in August 2021, so about a year ago. This woman was allegedly asked to provide names of Punks With Purpose members, maybe some screenshots, and one of the more hair-raising accusations that I read was that the CEO had allegedly asked for voice recordings. This woman had evidently been paid a fair amount of bitcoins for these alleged favors that she performed for the CEO. This was an article I had been waiting for for a little while, and I was really eager to see what the journalist was able to find. About three hours after publication, the article was removed, after Goodbeer Hunting received a letter from the CEO's lawyers which cited contempt of court. Goodbeer Hunting obliged and temporarily took the article down and brought on a legal team in the UK in order to review the entire article and eventually republished it at the end of May.
2: This
1: article has a few interesting points for me. So the first is, and we've reiterated this, no one is interested in the CEO's private life. And I, for one, am certainly not interested in... The individual, the woman who has come up in this reporting purely because I feel it's none of my business. It's not anyone's business. People's private lives are private. However, this article is so important because of the claims that were being made by the CEO and the company. And those claims being that the court action that was ongoing, and this is the only court action that we've been able to locate or find was related to former employees. This article coming out was so poignant because it proved it wasn't former employees. Fanny, do you wanna talk a little bit about this theme that we've had with the claims that have been made by the CEO?
0: Yeah, so one of the recurring themes since March has been the repeated assertions by BrewDog CEO that this alleged criminal conspiracy against him has spanned over the course of the last two years. This is really interesting since most of us have only been involved for about one year. We've reviewed published media and statements from the company and its CEO. Here is what we found. On March 14th of this year, in reporting done by The Guardian, a representative of BrewDog first made the statement regarding an alleged two-year criminal campaign. The CEO echoed this on the shareholders forum the very same day as he was responding to questions about this reporting and why he had made the decision to hire private investigators. The CEO reiterated this once more on April 10th in the piece from the Sunday Times where he detailed a little bit about these court cases we now know much more about and further insinuated that these legal proceedings may have something to do with members of Punks With Purpose. On July 4th, In the recent podcast interview the CEO participated in, he once again refers to these court cases, but still leaves it unclear whether this is a former employee or someone from his private life. Now, given the argument against Goodbeer Hunting claiming contempt of court, I had become interested in finding all of these statements the CEO had made which alluded to this alleged conspiracy. I've already turned to the search bar and looked up terms like criminal activity, criminal conspiracy, and two-year campaign, and ended up finding a statement from June 7th of 2021 written by the CEO to shareholders stating the following. We are also taking legal advice on some other activities activity against us, which is believed to be criminal in nature. Unfortunately, I can't share too many details on this at this moment. Cross-referencing dates, this statement was made the same day that Goodbeer Hunting alleges that one of these bitcoin payments to this former romantic partner of his, which I found pretty curious. It's also worth mentioning that the open letter from Punks with Purpose was first published two days after this payment was supposedly made. Looking at the Good Beer Hunting article, there is this bit here that caught my attention. We're not going to say this woman's name, so for the purpose of this podcast, we're going to call her Jane. On June 7th, 2021, after Jane alerted a person who appears to be BrewDog CEO via text that she set up an account with Coinbase, a cryptocurrency exchange platform, she received a response, I need your wallet number or the email address your account is set up with. Over the next six hours, text showed Jane being asked for information about a former BrewDog employee with administrative access to a Facebook group made up of former employees. Jane responded she was on it and asked for the other person's email address. 35 minutes later, a text from the other account responded. None of those names sound familiar. A court questionnaire sent to Jane, which she says came from the CEO's lawyers and the existence of which was confirmed by her own lawyers, shows that BrewDog's CEO allegedly paid Jane roughly 3.21 Bitcoin, or 125,000 US dollars at the time over the course of their correspondence. A second lawyer representing Jane in Scottish court says he is familiar with the document, but would not provide further comment. Some of these payments occurred in June, 2021. Additional messages Jane alleges were sent between her and the CEO suggest that she was offered more Bitcoin if she would record phone calls or in-person conversations, as well as shared text messages. She says one person she was asked to seek out for information was a former romantic partner of BrewDog's CEO.
1: The only thing that I think is really important for people to take away from this is that it's not a former employee. It's not punks with purpose members and it's got nothing to do with the countless workplace allegations that exist on our platform. When it came to these topics, we wanted to check in with Charlotte Cook. Brewdog is engaged in a plethora of marketing activities, particularly around their culture. They announced this blueprint thing. And they still, however, continue their campaign of refusing to acknowledge their accusations or malicious falsehoods and really just try and push this rehabilitated image of the company. How was that for you at that time?
2: I mean, seeing this and knowing what I knew was going on behind the scenes, and I hope that it was only me who was uh, who had their anonymity breached, it makes me think that none of it was done with true intentions and that they were just going to say whatever they were going to say regardless and that it was again not genuine contrition it was just a media rehabilitation charm offensive uh
1: speaking of media uh and maybe offensive media to some going back to the article that we talked about earlier the one that came out in which it was first alluded that there was that the ceo had paid an individual essentially to get information from people involved in the craft beer stories. So on May 6th, a good beer hunting article comes out and that article actually highlights that the court proceedings that the CEO had been implying were involved, were involving former staff actually involved an individual who was not a former employee. Was that vindicating for you? Was it
2: intimidating?
1: How was that when that article came out, given
2: what you've spoken about before? It was vindicating because it's been talked about so many times about campaign of criminality, uh, you know, offences that are being carried out, can't talk about it because it's an ongoing court case. I'd like to point out I've never been contacted by a lawyer or the police regarding anything to do with Brewdog. And just seeing it and realising, yes, now people can actually find out what's going on that this isn't anything to do with punks with purpose. We've never met this individual. And you can't just keep pretending that it's connected when it's in the public domain now and in court records that this is an issue that you've got with another individual and has nothing to do with the workplace allegations.
1: And you mentioned earlier on the podcast, Charlotte, that you had had an interaction with that individual. But first, I want to talk to Fanny about your interactions with this individual, the one who was implicated in the Good Beer Hunting article and who actually went on the record to speak about the case. Can you share what your experience with this individual was, Fanny?
0: I only had about a week or two back in August where I was sharing stuff regarding BrewDog. And it was during this week that I had a lot of people write me. One of them was this individual. They had just been commenting on, on some of my stories, and they were extremely forthcoming and enthusiastic, and they wanted to talk. We had about an hour-long conversation over the phone that week where I explained who I was. I explained what I was up to with McKeller at the time, and just to explain... You know, how on earth I got involved. I was helping connect sources with the BBC and was wanting to know if they were interested in speaking with them. And they gave me a bit of backstory to what their involvement was and what their experiences had been. We decided that we were going to talk again later that week. But before we got a chance to do that, this person had been contacting other people and offering to mediate between the company CEO and other people. And so this was a massive red flag for me. Um, I went pretty ballistic, not on this person. I, I just went around warning people not to connect with them. I alerted the journalists that I had been speaking with. And that was honestly that for many months. I just... it got too dark for me personally at that point. And that was a certain point where I took pause and I took a step back. I quietly talked to some people from the company in Ohio and then just sat back and waited for the culture review and for the documentary to be released.
1: And I'd like to just also bring up a a very, a a memory that I have of that time, because I remember we were on the phone, I was driving from Germany to Denmark, working on Mikola stuff. And I was stopped at the side of the road and we were talking about your interactions with this individual. And you kept saying to me, Kate, like something's up, something's weird. I don't understand. Like it doesn't make me feel good. And I'm just going to warn everyone. And you kind of were telling me, you know, as it was happening, that you wanted to be able to warn everyone because you were just feeling so weird about that interaction. Now, this article comes out May 6th, Good Bear Hunting, and it has this sort of vindicating information, which is it's actually not a former employee and actually it was someone that the CEO, you know, had paid. And then it's also worth noting that this article was almost immediately removed. With that notable fact aside and keeping in line with the interactions with this individual, Charlotte, you had an interaction and essentially, just to clarify, you two got the same feeling from this individual and you eventually, from my understanding, blocked this individual as well.
2: Yeah, I blocked them and reported them to the police because there was just something so far wrong with what was going on. It just... Gave me a feeling in the pit of my stomach that there was something really dark happening and I didn't want to have any part of it. I have absolutely and utterly no interest in the CEO's private life. He can do whatever he wants. I'm interested in workplace reconciliation. I'm interested in preventing retaliation against workers who speak out. This person wasn't connected to either of those things and it just felt like it was an intrusion and incorrect to be involved in any way. I guess there's two things
1: happening here. There's two realities. The reality where there's just people, you know, Fanny, you're engaging with a community. Charlotte, you're engaging with a company and an organization that's democratically organized with a positive agenda. And then the other side has this reality of, well, we're gonna catch them. We're gonna catch them. Oh, red-handed, we're gonna get them in this big conspiracy, all the feminists and the sexism activists. And it's like, no, that that's really as Far from the truth is what it could be, but now we're all subjected to this reality because it's actually got really nothing to do with the workplace. None of these things
2: add up at all. Entirely, and the legal proceedings that are taking place, uh, the time frame for which the alleged offences took place is actually before um, this individual made contact with either Fanny or myself. So... We're not involved in it in any way.
0: One thing that has really frustrated me throughout all of this is that I think there has been an active effort not to include anything about the CEO's private life. And what I keep feeling with their output from the company is that it continuously gets brought up when, what was it then, seven months later? And there we were faced with this problem. And I felt that we could all breathe a sigh of relief because I know everyone made the right decision to cut off communication as soon as possible.
2: Yep. Again, the only time that anyone has brought up the private life of the CEO has been the CEO using it as a technique to humanize himself. And I f- fundamentally agree that his family and private life is entirely private. He's entitled to that and I would never ever want to intervene in it. Not a
1: former employee, not Charlotte Cook, not a member of Punks with Purpose, but a claim that is still bolstering the CEO and the company's argument against the claims coming out about their workplace. Sarah Kensier, a best-selling author and the host of Gaslit Nation, a podcast, writes in her book, The View from Flyover Country. Paranoia is the refusal to recognize others, except as filtered through ourselves. This quote is so poignant to me. Paranoia is powerful. For example, it could pave the way for a grown man to really believe that hundreds of people who have never met each other before have corralled together to lie about their experiences, which have happened at different times in different parts of the world over many years, and they've gotten together to do this for the sole purpose of hurting him and his company. That certainly, for me, makes the case that paranoia is powerful. Just as Kenzia explores with politicians in her work, paranoia is a defense, a comfort blanket to hold when they just can't reconcile that they are indeed responsible for the things they've said and done. For the CEO in our case study, what you have just heard is the culmination of his choices, the enabled statements of a fragile man, Afraid of something, but not necessarily something real. Every leader comes to a fork in the road when they lead a company. Humility or ego, hard facts or easy lies, resolve or resistance, empathy or anger, contrition or control, kingdom or king. His choices, which I leave you to assess for yourself, echo in the lives and realities of people he refuses to engage with. I don't need to accuse him or the company of anything, but what I can say is that's certainly not good leadership. love this music that means that you love amanda a-m-u-n-d-a you can find out more information in the show notes where you'll find all of the other credits as well
0: thank you